Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your guest every week, six years running, 350 plus episodes taped from people from all walks of life. About seven years ago, the then CEO, now chairman of our company, Bob Whitman, and I sat down. We talked about having a leadership channel having a place where people could come and learn leadership lessons from Franklin Covey's thought leaders. At the time, we weren't sure if it would be a podcast or a TV program or a radio program. And what we realized is that very quickly, the power of Franklin Covey's spotlight as the world's most trusted leadership development firm came to be that two things happened. One is we realized that Franklin Covey, of course, isn't the expert on everything. We've always known this. We stick to our lanes, and we are, in fact, the world's most trusted leadership development firm. But we also know through our network of family and friends as thought leaders and authors and business leaders around the world, we're able to take what is our global footprint and spotlight other people outside of the firm that have done Herculean things, that have become world-class in their art or their trade, whether it is a tragedy they survived or a research study they completed that can help you become a better leader at work or at home. And sometimes it's ordinary people that have done extraordinary things through a passion that may not be your passion, but the lessons learned can help you achieve whatever it is your mission or purpose is. And today is just that person. Sasha DeJulian has a new book out called Take the Lead. The tagline is Hanging On letting go, and conquering life's hardest climbs. You may know Sasha as arguably the world's most renowned and successful champion when it comes to rock climbing. I mean, just look at this book cover for a moment. We're going to spend some time with Sasha today talking about what are the lessons learned from becoming this indisputable champion climber, three-time national champion, and looking forward to this interview. Sasha, welcome to On Leadership. Hi, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me today. Glad to have you here. You're at home today uh, joining us after a whirlwind year of record rock championships, the launch of your book. I'm sure lots of keynote speeches. You live in Boulder, Colorado. You've got an amazing story. And Sasha, I want to focus primarily today on what are some of the lessons that you have learned the hard way and the easy way that other entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, parents that are struggling, people that are trying to find their passion. We'll go there in a moment. But I'd love it at first if you would rewind a couple of decades, not too many decades, because I have some sense for how old you are, but you were climbing, arguably before you were walking. Would you recap what that early passion looked like literally inside your parents' home? Yeah, totally. I mean, my mom likes to say I was climbing before I could walk. I would climb out of my crib. All of the features within my house, like any door frame, I would be stemming my way up um, on either side. I guess I just always wanted to get to the top of something. I don't exactly know why that was. But then my brother had a birthday party. Um, I was six years old. He was turning eight. And I went to the birthday party with him and his team of hockey player boys. And his, I guess it was probably his like first or second grade class. And there was something that day that really clicked for me that I had no idea that climbing was even a sport. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I joined the junior team program and that was the beginning of the rest of my life to this date. 
Sasha, you have accomplished so much. You graduated from Columbia University with a degree in journalism and business. You're the CEO of Send Bars. You're an entrepreneur. You've been on the cover and featured in articles of countless magazines, newspapers. You launched your book several months ago on the Today Show. Accolade after accolade. I don't know the rock climbing world very well. I have some association with the mountaineering world, not personally, but through a colleague of mine. Will you check your humility for a few minutes and remind all those that are watching and listening the accolades that you have earned and won worldwide as it relates to being a female rock climber? Yeah, sure. And I think that not many people, by and large, do know that climbing is a professional sport because it is a niche sport, by and large. I live in Boulder, Colorado, where it's actually quite popular. But when I started, my family knew of ice hockey and basketball and football, very traditional sports. So I started competing when I was seven years old. That was through the youth regional um, circuit. And I started going to different local competitions. Um, and then I made my way up to competing for the U.S. national team, winning the female overall world championship. And now primarily what I focus my career on is traveling around the world and um, really setting my sights on new first ascents and first female ascents. I've traveled to over 50 different countries to pursue my sport. And um, there is, it, climbing is now an Olympic sport. It's been featured in a lot of mainstream media. But growing up, um, a lot was creating a path that I didn't really know what I was pursuing. I was just following this passion that I had and collecting moments of success as well as failure along the way. Um, you know, working with different companies, that's how we make a living as professional athletes within climbing is through endorsement deals. So I was the first athlete for Adidas to sign in North America um, as well as Red Bull for the climbing discipline. And a lot has been, you know, building the brand that is me and finding out along the way, like what is possible. I didn't set out to be a professional climber when I was young. I just set out to follow what I love to do. I'd like to format today's discussion, maybe in a speed round and ask you 10, 15 questions and have you give me short insights from them. So let's start that. One, what's the biggest business lesson that you could teach from your rock climbing experience? You are the CEO and entrepreneur of your, 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 your uh, nutrition bar company. I'm guessing there are one or two key lessons that every entrepreneur, solopreneur, intrapreneur could learn from your rock climbing. What would those one or two lessons be? One is it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you can't think about the summit before beginning the process. So I like to break things down into achievable moments. I call them smart goals, but even within my team, you know, you have this entire huge objective that you want to accomplish. And then in climbing, we break it down into pitches. So each pitch you take one at a time. And the other is surround yourself with people that fill your weaknesses. You can't be perfect at everything. And there are going to be a lot of voids that other people are better at you with. So when I was building my team with Sunbars, I approached it very similar to an expedition team, filling in the voids of what I don't bring to the table and having partners that actually strengthen my weaknesses. 
Well, let's talk about that, because I'm guessing rock climbing is fairly humbling. I'm guessing you're going down as much as you're going up. Hopefully that's a little bit more up than down, but I'm guessing when yeah. it comes to building a team, you've had to check your humility. You are arguably, if not the most recognized female climber, certainly in America, if not the world. I'm guessing you had to check your ego and your confidence when it came to building your team for your nutrition company, because most of that, you probably had no idea what you were doing. You had a passion, you had uh, some idea of what you wanted to create, but was it difficult for you to check your ego and hire people around you who were noticeably, palpably smarter, more talented than you were in their areas of expertise? I think this is a common challenge that leaders have, recognizing I know this, but I don't know these things, and I'm comfortable building people around me that do. I find a lot of strength in the people that know a lot more than me because I can learn from them. And it is something that is very humbling when you experience it on a climbing expedition. Failure is very present. It's something that I've gone through a lot in my career, but it's also where you learn the most and also grow from, I would argue, more so than the success. And so in building the Sunbars team, I knew the different women that I wanted to bring on as my co-founders as a part of the nuclear team. And I knew nothing about the CPG uh, industry. I've learned along the way, you know, even with the use of Google, like where is a good co-packer? And then going and interviewing different places and learning about the industry through my own trial and error. And we're such a young company that we continue to grow, but we have a lot of success out the gates and that's been very exciting. But I'm learning the rope, so to speak, as we go. And so I feel really empowered when I can bring people onto my team that know the industry, know different things that I don't know. And it really gives me more fuel to keep going because it's like, oh, wow, I just learned this yesterday. Now I wanna learn more about that and figure out how we can put that into place. Sasha, one of my friends is a woman named Jen Drummond. She's a resident of Park City, Utah, mother of seven, and just recently became the first woman in history to climb what are known as the Seven Second Summit, so the second highest mountains on the seven continents. She has a book coming out called Break Proof. And one of the ideas that she talks about in her book is sometimes you have to climb down in order to climb back up. And as an entrepreneur myself, it's really resonated with me that you know sometimes you gotta, you gotta recalibrate, you gotta step back down and kind of take a reassessment of the mountain, metaphorical in your case, literal, the rock. To what extent has that played a role in your progress is not literally the falls, because you do fall, typically you're roped, always you're roped, but to what extent has that metaphor been a hallmark of your career climbing down to climb back up? Yes. So Jen's career is very prolific. That's very cool. I can't wait to read her book. Um, we fall all the time. In I, I should preface that I fall all the time in climbing. That's a part of the process. If you're not falling, then you're not challenging yourself on hard enough climbs. Because if I did everything my first try, it would mean that I wasn't really stepping outside of my comfort zone and exposing myself to the potential of that failure. And that is such a significant point of learning. Um, but I will say, and a part of the journey within the book is I achieved success within my sport at quite a young age. I was 12 years old by the time I had my first endorsement deal 
And I was winning national championships by the time I was eligible to compete in the adult circuit. And so I had a lot of interpersonal failures too and exposure to mistakes that I learned along the way that I talk about in the book that really shaped my character and who I've become beyond just climbing. I think it's it's really tough when you're judged and exposed to criticism online and um, you, you take actions as, say, a teenager and you learn from them um, and try to be, you know, whatever it is. But through those climbing achievements, but also through falling or going down in order to go up, I think that that's just a part of the process. And um, I like to think about my past as I can't really regret the moments that I went down because I really, um, I really look at them as points of pivotal turning points in my life, even beyond just the climbs that then I went on to achieve. I mean, in essence, you expect to fail, you know, not, not all the time, but you expect that. I think it's important to remind everyone that's listening and watching today, whatever your entrepreneur or passion is, whatever your side hustle is, whatever your full-time role is, parent, uh, leader, entrepreneur, this is a commonality, is it not? And successful people is embracing the fact that you're going to win and you're going to fail, and there's as much to take from both of those, and that is part of the process. Plan to fail. Plan that's going to happen, and make sure you take the time to deduce from that what to learn. Let's talk about what's going on in your head. I've seen some of these videos of you online, and like I have to walk away from the screen because I get vertigo, just like watching it on the screen. And I think, Sasha, what the hell? I mean, this is fun for you? When you're, when you, I mean, the, the cover of your book is just riveting. This isn't a staged photograph. It's what you do every day, today, in a couple of hours. You're going to be doing this while I'm having lunch at Nordstrom, eating my tomato bisque and my iced tea and reading the Wall Street Journal, which I'm looking forward to. What's going on in your mind when you're doing something like this, when you're hanging from one hand from a, a sheer cliff? Is this, a, is this relatable? Is this something that is just, you know, you're superhuman and it's a unique passion of yours? What's going through your mind when you're doing this? I'm definitely not superhuman. The cover is from a climbing trip that I took in Jordan. Um, so that's actually from Northern Jordan and it's not staged at all. It's just a photo that took. I mean, there's a nature of it. It's staged because hanging from one arm and smiling is just taken in the moment. It's not really like I'm progressing through the hardest climb I've done. That actually wasn't a very challenging climb, but it was a very enjoyable climb. But when I'm climbing, I am really focused on the intimate set of movements that are in front of me. And that's part of why I really love climbing. And I think it's very applicable to other asset facets of life. It's, it's when I'm really still in my mind and my body is at this confluence of doing what my mind is telling it to do without really having to tell it to do that. Um, I'm really interested in that notion of the flow state. And I think that that is what I can liken when I'm climbing my best to the state that my mind is in. Uh, but I do have, quite frankly, a hard time focusing. Um, when I'm talking, I like to be, you know, I had a pen in my hand because 
I have to track what someone's saying in order to really stay on that mark of, of staying in it. And I think that climbing has been one of those sports that's taught me the skill set of controlling my mind and really focusing on telling myself sometimes I'll narrate like what I'm doing to myself. And then it kind of induces my body to this state of being absolutely present. It's also in this day and age, we live in such a chaotic multi um, doing multiple things at once all the time, but in climbing, you can't be on your phone. You can't be doing emails while doing something else because you need both your hands, both your feet to be very engaged. And so I would say there are moments when I'm climbing where my mind is very still. And then there's also moments where my mind is just so involved in thinking about the exact movement and figuring out how to solve this puzzle with my mind in order for my body to actually be able to do it too. Um, I like in climbing a big wall to like a jigsaw puzzle where you have all of these pieces that you need to fit together and figure out how they fit together, read the rocks to figure out what the path of least resistance up it is, and then really challenge your body to be able to do what you've mentally set out to accomplish. It's such a great me metaphor for business, the jigsaw, right? Because any entrepreneur can relate to that. Literally yours is a jigsaw on the on the the mountain on the cliff. Uh, let's talk about some of the things you've learned from your sports psychologist. Obviously, you have you know uh, very enviable brand deals. This, the book is full of great stories around your climbs around the world and working with different brands and endorsement deals. And do they match your brand or not? I love the story about agent provocateur. You talk about you know why do they want a flat-chested, muscular woman who's not exactly you know the typical model for lingerie? Your book is very vulnerable. I thought it was extremely well written and relatable, at least the parts that I could relate to. What are some of the things you've learned in terms of endurance, perseverance, focus from your your sports psychologist? Endurance and focus um, and perseverance are all very important pillars within succeeding in climbing. And I do liken it a lot to spreading my wings more into an entrepreneurial sense as well. Um, if the endurance comes with the climb is long whatever that climb is, whatever your climb is. And you can't set out on a climb saying, I want to be at the summit. You have to break it down into pieces. And then that perseverance is going through the failure of going through moments in your mind where you literally don't know if that's possible. I think living on the ragged edge of not knowing if something is possible for you or not is where the excitement happens because my most rewarding climbs have come when I've achieved something that I didn't know if I could physically actually achieve. One of my um, one of my climbs that I did last year was after I had double hip reconstruction surgery. I'd taken this massive amount of time off of climbing, was literally flattened, and that I had this really ambitious goal to get back and try and do something that was in my mind and all physical accounts beyond my actual ability. Um, and, and I think that with working with a sports psychologist, it's really been focusing on the positive, focusing on what you can control and really just applying yourself and trying and, and going through that grit of, um, failure, but also, you know, 
learning from what could I have done differently that I can do this micro adjustment on the wall. Like literally the difference of if your hip is a millimeter to the left or to the right or what sort of like surface area you can get the very top quarter tip of your fingertip onto is going to make a difference between your success or your failure on the rock. And so that I think is a microcosm for what I've gone through in my experiences within school, within starting a business, within relationships that I have with people, that communication is super vital to the success of a team on a climb. And that also has been very vital to the success of my relationships that I've had in my life is learning how to communicate your intentions and what's working, what's not working. Uh, Sasha, you're so well composed. You obviously have surrounded yourself with great people. You write a lot about your mom in the book as well. I kind of got, I, I enjoy getting to know your mom via your book. By all measures, you have earned and won literally every award or accomplishment that's in your sport. You write in the book about kind of the post-climb letdown, the inevitable kind of down after you've accomplished something and how do you manage that in your mind? Not everybody can relate to the level of success you've had, but for people that are listening and they set a goal for themselves, perhaps it was a health or fitness goal, maybe it was an education goal, maybe it was a revenue goal for their Etsy store or their side hustle or for their business. What advice would you give to people that they've hit that goal and now they're kind of figuring out what's next and they have a little bit of let down. Obviously, you have some experience in, okay, so now what? And, and what do I do next? What would you share on that front? Well, it's an it's a, uh, idea that I'm working on, to be quite transparent. Um, I have a hard time with stillness. And I think that I've gained a lot from the moments that I have allowed myself to be still and reflect and recover in a physical essence, but also mental essence. Um, and I, I think that what I've really tried to dive into as of late is being okay with the unknown of what's next and really being present with the people around you, but also starting to think about the big picture, what's next can also come in a form of breaking things down into the next month. Um, I, I know that on the physical side of my climbing goals and also what I now translate to my business goals is I'll think about things in two-year stints. I can't tell you exactly what in five years I'm going to be doing. I just frankly like don't love that question. But when I think about things within the two-year framework, that really helps me manage where my goals are moving forward. And so two years is, you know, that's a very long runway as well. Sometimes I couldn't even tell you where I'm going to be next week. And I think that I'm just working on being okay with that and being open to not knowing because a lot of magic happens within that blank space when you're open to it too. And um, something that I've learned as well through the massive injuries and recovery that I've gone through is that listening to my body is really important. And when I wake up, like I think it's really important for me to push myself and try and be showing up to training and my meetings and everything. But sometimes that search for balance just feels very off kilter. And so taking days where maybe I skip my workout and maybe I you know use that time where I catch up with a friend or take a bath or whatever it is that 
um, kind of recharges me. Those are some of the things. And I think that it's hard. It's hard for me to not just like try and go, go, go. But I'm also realizing that that is a really important asset to be able to um, be okay with. I think on that front, we have that in common. Uh, recently, we interviewed Deepak Chopra, the famous author and physician and uh, uh, genius. And he mentioned something that haunts me. He said, there are human beings and there are human doings. And I am very much a human doing, kind of on a quest to be more of a human being because like you, I'm kind of always in motion. and I have to be more comfortable with stillness and silence and reflection. Uh, makes me a better parent when I am. Are you a naturally positive person? Do you, do you ever have dark days or dark thoughts or negative thoughts? Or do you tend to err on, on what you might say a naturally positive mindset? Do you have to work on that is my question. I choose to be positive. And that's because I think it's the most resilient way to get things done. Um, there's a lot of moments where I feel darkness. I feel a paralysis analysis because I just feel tired and drawn down and um, unsure of where I'm at. But I think that for me, being positive and being optimistic about ways to charge forward is my way of doing things. And thinking about the possibility is what excites me. When I'm super negative, I don't feel like it brings me anywhere. Um, and so I say choose positivity because I don't think, you know, a criticism that I've been faced with in my career has been um, social media can be such a facade of someone's life because it's not giving you the full picture of what's going on. And I've gone through significant amounts of loss and, and hard times that I've chose positivity. And that can come across to some people. I've heard the criticism of, you know, your life's like sunshine and rainbows. It's not. Um, I think that we all go through our own fair share of ups and downs. It's just, for me, the most productive way forward is to think about the positive way that I can move forward and the positive in a negative situation. And so I, I do think that that is something that I try and hone into. And so naturally, I do think of it, I veer more on the positive side, but it's also something that I elect to live my life by. Well, I absolutely love your answer, which I knew would be that because of having read the book and kind of knowing how your mind operates. I choose to be positive. Here's why I asked the question. For subscribers to this podcast, listeners and viewers, they'll know that I'm the parent of three young boys with my wife, Stephanie. We live in Salt Lake City. We have three young sons, nine, 12, and 13. And my youngest son is nine, and he's quite negative. I'm like, very negative. We have a fairly positive family. Our family is fairly stable. All families have issues. But we're, we're going to have to hire him a coach, a therapist, because he has this deeply ingrained, negative, limited mindset. He will tell you, Dad, I'm just negative. Everyone knows I'm negative. Everyone tells me I'm negative. And, and yes, how his day was? Horrible. How was your meal? Horrible. How was tennis today? I failed. Everybody hates me. It's always everyone and everybody. And so we've got to nip this in the bud because he now has ingrained in his mindset that he's a negative person and it's all he knows how to be. 
And not that you are a parenting expert by any stretch, but I'm sure you have, like you have said, you've had major setbacks in your life. I mean, you do things that are life-risking every day of the week. Not being a parenting expert, what advice would you give to my wife and I, to our youngest son, on how to help convince him the benefits of choosing, choosing to be positive? Because for you, it's a choice. For all of us, it's a choice, right? Even in the midst of drama or trauma or setback or pain, you choose to be positive. Any advice for other parents out there or even leaders of working, that have people working for them that have a deeply ingrained negative mindset? Where would you lead us there? I would say search for an outlet that brings you joy. For me, I found my passion and I was really lucky about finding that at a young age and that was climbing. It's what brought me a lot of self-confidence and satisfaction in what I was doing. Um, but it doesn't need to be a sport. It doesn't need to be something that becomes your career. I think it's just an outlet that really enables you to feel your best self and empowered because through that, it's a really intrinsic pursuit. And it's something that then is going to enable you to find your voice from within and what brings that character that makes you feel the most alive and ideally positive and resilient towards whatever life is going to throw at you. Sasha, we interview a lot of famous, wealthy people on this podcast. You know, every day it's someone that's, you know, at the top of their game, whether it be financial wealth or, or celebrity fame or a researcher, an author, just prior to interviewing you, we were talking offline with the producers about a particular celebrity and how their life has just seemed to have gone to hell in a handbasket from all the publicity. There aren't many people that would disagree with that take on that person. And you seem to me to be extraordinarily mature and composed in terms of the words you use, the deliberate nature in which you choose to engage or not engage with different brands. I'm guessing that early fame and some wealth and public eye on you was daunting. How have you managed to, at least at appearance sake, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's fairly congruent with you, how have you managed to keep such a great kind of head on your shoulders and be um, so contemplative and deliberate about the things that you've done when you see so many examples of people like you that have earned, whether they're an actor or a researcher, whoever they are, what did you do right? Well, I appreciate that. It's not... It's sometimes very stormy in my mind. Um, but I, I find a lot of nourishment through being outside. And I actually really love to start my day without having checked my phone, without having checked anything. I will make coffee and go out on the trail and walk my dog and just kind of take in being outside. I think that recognizing I lived in New York City, so I know not everyone can just go jaw on a trail. Um, but finding a way to really have habits that bring that internal sense of just being grateful for where you're at. Um, I, I have developed really callous skin from the internet and from criticism, and it can be really challenging to your ego. But the people whose opinions I allow to really permeate my surface are the people that I choose to let into my circle. And I think that that's really important for me too is 
surrounding myself by people that really challenge me, but also really support me and believe in me. I don't want to be surrounded by fluff yes people. I want people to tell me when I'm right, when I'm wrong, and to, you know, I'm open to debating my ideas and my um, sense of beliefs. But I think that that inner circle is really important and who I choose to spend my time with in real life because the internet is a really challenging place to, it's not real life. It's, it's, it's a sense of who we are, but it's not the full picture. And so I think that those day-to-day interactions are really important for me and just finding a lot of joy in the simple things. They don't, it doesn't cost money to go on a walk in nature. And yes, there's privilege to be able to be exposed to nature, but I think that that's, that's why it's led me to really become an advocate for our planet is because it's brought me so much internal sense of gratitude and reflection and self-empowerment. And so protecting the places that we love and being present in the places that we are, I think does really help with, um, with, I guess, quieting the storms that live upstairs. For anyone looking to find motivation and inspiration on taking on an extreme sport, something beyond your reach, your book, Take the Lead, is a phenomenal guide that will continue to motivate you to say, yep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Sasha, what's next for you? I am working on a climb on El Capitan in Yosemite. That's going to really take uh, a good portion of my next year. But Monday, I'll be at the vice president's house for a holiday party. And so lots of like random things here and there. I guess that's what's directly next. I think I'm going to climb on Tuesday. I'm going to miss you by a day. But you text me and tell me how that goes, will you? I'm kidding. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll leave a note in that. (laughs) Let me know. Sasha DeJulian, your book is Take the Lead, Hanging On, Letting Go, and Conquering Life's Hardest Climbs. You are a force of nature. You're a force for good. I wish you great success in your adventures, your entrepreneurial endeavors, and your passion for helping keep our planet healthy and safe for generations uh, ahead of us. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. (laughs) 